What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Legends of the Tournament podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Christopherson. Every week on this podcast, I'll be talking to players or people who have lived through the highs and lows of tournament time in college basketball. We'll dive into the specific moments, inside stories, and the thoughts and feelings that they had in the midst of these all-or-nothing games. Tournament time in college basketball is, of course, a special time, and on this podcast, we want to highlight the highs and the lows of that experience. Today on the show, we have a giant killer of sorts, a six-foot-tall sharpshooter who helped take down a Goliath of college basketball with one gutsy three-point shot. That person is Ali Farokmanesh, who knocked down one of the more famous three-point shots in March Madness history as his Northern Iowa Panthers shocked the number one overall seeded Kansas Jayhawks back in 2010. Farokmanesh played two years of basketball at the junior college level before transferring to the University of Northern Iowa for his final two years of eligibility. Farokmanesh started all 69 of the games he played in at UNI, contributing to two conference tournament titles, and two NCAA tournament appearances to go along with two NCAA tournament wins. While two seems to be the common theme here, it was really the three ball that helped Farouk Manesh make his name known. He averaged 9.7 points per game on 37.5% shooting from three-point range, taking nearly six three-pointers per game for coach Ben Jacobson's squad during the 08-09 and the 09-2010 college basketball seasons. In his senior year, Farouk Manesh and UNI earned a nine seed and faced eight-seeded UNLV. In that first-round matchup, Farouk Manesh hit the game-winning three-pointer with 4.9 seconds left in that one. Then awaiting UNI in the next game was number one overall seeded Kansas. UNI stuck with the Jayhawks the entire game and with 34 seconds left and a one-point lead, for UNI, it was Ali Farokmanesh who wrote his name into March Madness lore for years to come. He stepped confidently into a three-pointer and drained it to give the UNI Panthers a four-point lead that they would not relinquish. This shot effectively knocked the win out of Kansas and the UNI Panthers pulled off the biggest upset of the 2010 NCAA tournament. And with that shot, Ali Farouk Manesh would grace the cover of Sports Illustrated and assuredly become a legend of the tournament. After playing basketball for a few seasons overseas, Farouk Manesh decided to join the coaching ranks where he is now currently an assistant coach with the Colorado State men's basketball team. And now, here is our talk with the legend of the tournament, Ali Farokmanesh. Ali, we'll start with the conference tournament time at, at uh, the University of Northern Iowa in that uh, in both of your seasons there, you guys won the conference tournament. That first year, though, was uh, a bit of a struggle to get there. A lot of close games. Can you tell me anything that you remember from that first Arch Madness? Yeah, we, uh, we played in a bunch of close games all season uh, that year in general. Um, so it was, we were kind of, I guess, if you look back on it now, we we're kind of building up to those moments um, being in close games because I always tell our guys that you got to embrace adversity because if you're going to be a great team, you're going to play close games at some point. So if you want to be the best of the best, 
you have to get used to be playing in those pressure situations, how you respond to those situations, what's your attitude like, how consistent can you be, um, can you stay in those moments? And we played in so many of those games that I think we didn't realize it at the time, but that really was setting us up, setting ourselves up to be successful later on in the year. And, and we were, I mean, that Illinois state game to win Arch Madness and get the punch, the ticket to the dance um, was an overtime game that we were down um, in the last few minutes of that game, had to make some big plays down the stretch just to get it to overtime and then had to make plays in overtime to win the game. And um, I think that was, that's what made our team great, obviously, was that I think during those moments and times of adversity and, situations uh, where the pressure is its highest um, we always responded well mentioning uh we're talking about arch madness uh could you also tell me about like what that is that whole thing's like I, I first of all i love that it's called arch madness being played in st louis i think that's pretty funny but uh what what's the what's the atmosphere like in those in that tournament you know it's played kind of a week before the you know say the big 10 tournament or, or other major conference tournaments like that but then gets that sunday slot on cbs uh yep. for the championship uh yeah what's that whole experience like man it's awesome arch madness was a blast especially um the league's changed a lot since i i played in it i'm really dating myself now i'm sure a lot of people don't even know creighton and wichita state were in the league um, but it, it was a fun league back then when you, when you were going to Wichita state in front of 10,000 fans, um, Illinois state back then was drawing 10,000 fans at their home games. Um, then you go down to, uh, Creighton and there's 17,000 there. It was a special league. And then you go to Arch Madness and, um, it's, it's packed. Southern Illinois fans are there. Creighton fans are there. Wichita state fans are there. Um, Missouri state, they always brought fans as well. Um, we were doing well, so we brought fans as well too. So it created such a great atmosphere in terms of it, it really was a basketball atmosphere and um, kind of how the Big East is now in terms of like it's a basketball conference. Um, I know I know the Valley teams have football, um, but the Valley was built on basketball and I, and that's what made it fun. It was really a basketball conference and it, that it was fun to be a part of that. Uh, you saw the value in it and the fans really cared about it and that's what makes it fun. And there was great teams, great coaches. Um, it was a perfect atmosphere and St. Louis was a perfect place to host it. We each had our own hotels and there was an excitement around the city because it had been there for so long. And, and that's part of that tradition that made Arch Madness special is that people from not just that were interested in the Valley, people that were just interested in basketball and the excitement around it from that St. Louis area in the Midwest would show up for it as well. And, and I think that's what made Arch Madness special. And, and it's still special even today in the Valley. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a bucket list type item for me to just, just take in the Arch Madness one year just uh, to see what it's all about. I, I love Missouri Valley basketball anyways, but just as a college basketball fan too, I think it would be really fun. No, absolutely. That's a, that's a bucket list uh, conference tournament to go to for sure. It's, it's, a, it's a special atmosphere and the fans – fans care about it and that's what i think that's what makes it special as well well so getting back to that that junior season of yours at uni you guys then win the conference tournament and you get a 12 seed and you play five seeded purdue and that, that was a tough purdue team you guys ended up losing a close game what was uh what was the feeling like i guess uh specifically for you uh that first year at uni it's your first ncaa tournament game you know, what were the, the feelings, maybe first couple of minutes of the game? Yeah, we, uh, we were excited. I think it was more, um, if I'm honest, we, we were more excited to just be there at that point because um, we weren't expected to be. We were picked 
sixth or seventh in our conference that year, win the regular season, win the conference tournament. Um, so at that point, we were like, man, we've already accomplished more than we could have even come close to expecting. Um, so we were thrilled to just be there. And, and I think it showed they jumped on us pretty early. Um, and we made a comeback later in the game and we're right there to have a chance to actually win the game. But um, in those situations, it, it's hard to come back and win a game like that against a team like like Purdue. So at that point, we were excited to be there. And um, that stuck with us going into the next season, though, um, because we wanted more than to just be there. We'd already now we'd been the NCAA tournament. We accomplished those other goals. And, and now we had other goals we wanted to accomplish going into our, my senior year. Yeah, one of the special things about college basketball, you get, you know, a, a quote unquote mid-major team like Northern Iowa, who then brings everyone back. And uh, you guys knew that not only could you make the turn, but now you could really make some noise. You guys all improved from, from your junior year to senior year and had a pretty special uh, season in 2009-2010. And uh, just to show the difference from your junior to senior season, you guys rolled through Arch Madness. Your senior year winning every game by double figures. Uh, what was that Arch Madness like in, in terms of uh, kind of maybe more dominating the competition rather than playing those, those close overtime games? Yeah, I mean, I think it was partially just that the goal wasn't to just win Arch Madness. And we were kind of upset already because the bracket projections were saying that, you know, they have to win that uh, Arch Madness to get in and all this stuff. And it was like, geez, like we were ranked most of the season in the top 25. Like now we got to win our tournament just to get in. Um, so there was a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, which I think you, you always need that. It, you always need to find a way. It's like the Jordan documentary when he was just making up stuff to be mad about or making up stuff to give him a little edge. And I think you always have to have that. And for each person is different, but for us, that was the the edge we needed probably. Um, and it showed up each one of those games because we were ready to go from the jump in every single one of those Arch Madness games from, I think we played Drake in the first round. Um, and so that was easy. That was a rivalry game. So we, we knew we, we were going to be ready for that one no matter what. Um, and then the next one was Bradley and we kind of had some bad blood. They beat us earlier in the year. So that was easy too. We didn't, we didn't need a whole lot more to get motivated for that one. And then uh, Wichita State, obviously, we lost at their place earlier that year too. So two of the three games we played, we lost one of those games. So um, we were ready to go. And that was that, that made it easier too. Because sometimes if you play teams that you beat up on during the regular season, it's hard to play them in the conference tournament um, and, and beat them for the third time, especially if you beat them badly. And we got two teams that we lost to. So we, we kind of lucked out with the draw too, and we were ready to go for every single one of those games. Yeah, you mentioned the the sort of, that's kind of one of the issues with uh, maybe the NCAA tournament and looking down on some of these mid-major schools that, I mean, playing at a conference like the Missouri Valley, which obviously you know is, is a very tough, good conference filled with a lot of really good teams. And to have the season like you guys had and still be considered a bubble team, uh, it's just one of those things that uh, makes me shake my head sometimes because I want to see those I want to see those teams in the tournament as a and and this is a personal opinion over a team maybe that's from a big conference who won about 18 games and went uh, losing record in conference play. You know, I, there's some really really good teams. You see, uh, obviously, you guys in Northern Iowa's had a lot of really good teams. Loyola making their Final Four run. Uh, seems like there's a Missouri Valley conference team or two every year. That's that's prime to make a run yeah yeah it'd be nice to it'd be nice to have some more mandates on like on scheduling and I think people are starting to understand what scheduling like is like in college basketball but um man it's difficult for a lot of teams like I 
Northern Iowa probably can't get a home game against a top 50 team in the country ever again. I mean, I think that's the hard part yeah. for, for programs like that is just to get high quality games at home. And it kind of is the nature of the beast and you got to live with it, but um, it'd be nice to be able to, to put even more, more prominence on playing road games as opposed to home games. Um, I, I, a win's a win, but um, you know, in college basketball, home and home and road are such a big difference, especially in college basketball, more so than probably a lot of sports. Absolutely. And uh, what one idea a friend of mine had was, was, you know, all these, these mid-major schools that win their regular season championship, and then they, they still need to win that conference tournament to make it. Well, the first four, shouldn't that be kind of the idea rather than just the edge of the bubble? You have some reserve spots for a team that, you know, say if you guys had lost uh, before the conference uh, before winning the conference championship that you would have that spot there because you still, you guys are still such a great team mm -hmm. and really deserve to kind of be in there. And, and, uh, it's sort of heartbreaking to see some of these mid majors. It's, it's all or nothing. It's, it's either you win this really tough conference championship against a rival school of yours, or, you know, you're looking at the NIT. Yeah, no. And that's, that's, what's hard for like, I mean, you look at like the SoCon from the last couple of years, they've, they've been a really good mid, low mid major conference, whatever you want to call it um, for, for the last two or three years. And they got some, there are some really good teams, but they're never going to get in that large bid because they're not, they don't get, they don't get to play teams at home that help them to boost their record. And that's, that's what's hard. They have to win road games. And you know, like if, if you made, if we made, I don't know, even you make Northwestern go play on the road against uh, against East Tennessee State, and then they go play at Furman, and they go play at UNC Greensboro. Well, how are they going to fare? Mm. You know, and that's the hard part that you get judged on such a higher scale at um, at these other places. And and I think, you know, if Furman gets to play Michigan State at home, or they get to play Wisconsin at home, like what's that going to look like? It's a little. It's a little easier to win those games at home than opposed to like, I got to go into the Kohl Center and win now. When at the end of the day, a lot of these teams are just beating them at home. And I'm not saying like, I'm not taking any away from winning games. Like you still have to win games. And that's, yeah. it's hard enough to win any game in this level, but it makes it easier when you get to play all those games at home too. Yeah. I mean, not just the home road thing, but also the fact that, you know, a mid-major might have just two shots at, at playing a, a bigger conference team. And you know, it, you kind of then just base the resume based off of one or two games and, and you might end up losing both or, you know, however it goes, but uh, just kind of limited shots at it rather than it seems like uh, maybe a big 10 or big East team might have, you know, they have the whole season it seemingly to, to make their case and a mid-major team maybe has just a couple shots here and there. Yeah, no. Um, uh, and that's the probably the biggest thing. A mid-major team has, has has 30 games where they have to prove themselves like you get 30 games and you have to win every like you have to be dominant you can't have five off nights in, in, as a mid-major you just can't yeah um and then as a high major you could have 11 off nights <laughs> and if you show up for the other 19 of them and you play well in those like you're probably gonna make the tournament so it's i mean that's that's probably the biggest difference is and, and if you do well at home in a high major league you're probably gonna make the tournament but if you're a mid-major, you better do well on the road, on home, on a neutral, everywhere. And that's, 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 that's the hardest difference. And that's the biggest difference between, between the levels. And 
Um, you, you hope that that there's that we get to play more of these MTE events where there's multiple team tournaments where you're playing more teams on a neutral. But um, there's a lot of these high majors now too that are that are moving towards more hosting their own events, and I think that's that that does not help anybody besides them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe I'll say it different if I'm at a high major, but, I, but as of right now, I don't think it, it, it's not going to, it doesn't help college basketball. Yeah. I, I mean, that's one of the great things about, about college basketball is kind of the, the mid-major type of, of thing where you, you kind of feel like all 351 or, or however many teams there are now in division one have, have a chance as opposed to maybe college football where you know, it's, it's really just the blue bloods in, in a, in a way. So as much as I do love college football, uh, college basketball kind of gets that edge for, for that reason where you, you can have a Loyola make a final four run or, or, you know, Northern Iowa and the sweet 16, you know, things like that, uh, that really make college basketball special. No, exactly. And I think that's, what's, I, I think every year you could probably predict two out of the four that are going to make the BCS championship every single year and probably be right. If not three out of the four and in, in college basketball at the start of every season, I don't know how many people who could pick one team that's actually going to make the final four. And that's what makes it special. Like, I mean, you go back to the year that um, when we went to the sweet 16, what was it? Butler, Michigan state, um, Duke. And I can't even remember who the other team was, but I, I I mean, yeah, I could see some people probably might have picked Duke at that point, but not a lot of people are just going to go out and pick two, three out of those four teams. And that's the biggest difference. And that's what makes it fun is you never know what can happen. Um, there's nothing better than the NCAA tournament. And I, it, it's, it's special. And that's what makes, that's what makes that time of year. It's the one time of the year where like the hundred percent focus is only like NBA is still going on and no one's talking about the NBA when, when March Madness is going on. Yeah, I mean that's that's so true. And and talk about the, the the special nature of the NCAA tournament. It's a good lead into your senior season where you guys had a pretty special run, uh, starting with an eight-nine matchup. So we mentioned uh you guys win in the conference tournament, you get a nine seed, play eight seeded UNLV, and it was a battle. Uh you ended up sinking the game-winning three-pointer with 4.9 seconds left, 69-66 victory. Now, in rewatching that play here recently, it was it was interesting the the type of defense UNLV was playing and really pressuring the the point guard uh, before you got the shot off. Could could you take me through that play and and just how it came to be that you were able to sink the shot? Yeah, before that, I uh, gave up a, I gave up a three on the other end. I uh, helped in on a guy, and obviously that's the cardinal sin. Um, so I, I gave up a three on the other end. So I kind of had to make the next shot, but, um, but yeah, they were, uh, they, and they, they were a pressure team pressing team. And so that's what they were, they were still doing that in the end of the game and, and double teaming, pressuring us. Um, and our guys made the right play. Kajo took care of the ball, passed it up the side to Johnny and they were still coming over to double team. And Johnny made a really good read, dribbled the ball back up the floor and pitched it across the floor to me on the opposite side. And, and I was open, I was a little deep, but uh, I was open and, um, and it was an easy decision at that point to shoot it. Um, and it was, I, I didn't think we were going to get that open of a look to end the game. Um, and so I, I thank them for double teaming our point guard, but, <laughs> um, but that was, but we had to make the right plays too. Cause there was a point where Joe almost turned the ball over by crossing over half court again and getting in 
over and back call and he handled that well and then got it to Johnny and Johnny made a, a great decision by dribbling it back up the floor and pitching it across to me. So um, we still had to make a bunch of the right plays and right decisions at the end of the game. And that probably goes back to, cause we had the same starting five coming back the next year. It probably goes back to that junior season playing in all those games where we dealt with so much adversity and had to win so many games in the last minute, two minutes that we were used to it and we didn't panic. And that's, that's something that you practice um, like every coach practices situations, but until you experience it and you gain confidence from being in it and you learn how to handle it, that's the only way you can get better at it. And I really do think from that junior season, we grew as a team experience wise dealing with those moments that we handled that moment versus UNLV as well as you possibly can. Yeah. Just hit, if, you know, people get a chance to go back and look, you know, on YouTube that, that it was really, really interesting that that defense and really hounding you guys uh, all in the half court there, but uh, it ended up backfiring. You end up getting a really good look and uh, knocking down the shot, which then, you know, as an eight, nine matchup now, whoever wins that gets to play a one seed and you guys happen to play the number one overall seed in Kansas uh, what was what was the thinking going into that game? What was Coach Ben Jacobson saying, you know, going into that one? I mean, I think on Selection Sunday, you're excited to hear your name called. You, obviously, we knew we were going to get called. It wasn't going to be an at-large situation since we won it as well. Um, so when we saw the 8-9, um, we, auto <laughs> we automatically know you're going to play a one seed. And then we knew it was Kansas. And, like, I remember our hearts just kind of sinking initially because, um, you know, it's your senior year, and we're talking about, like, we're top 25 all year. So like, we're going to be like a six seed, maybe something like that. So we'll, we'll at worst, we're going to play like a three seed in the next round and we can make a run in the tournament. Um, and then you get the number one overall seed in Kansas. Um, and they were coming off a team with some players that had played in it had won a national championship two years previously. Um, so we were kind of like, what is going like, this is awful. This is the worst possible scenario. Um, and coach Jake flipped it around and, and talked about an opportunity. And that's the way we looked at it. It was, this was an opportunity. And if you want to be the best, you want to make a run in the NCAA tournament, you're going to have to beat somebody good. So might as well be the number one overall seed in the country. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we, we looked at it more as, and, and that was our mindset going into it. And, and I think he set us up for that, um, early. And I don't know if it was, it, and I think that was probably the best coaching job he did right there was just he had already set our minds to be ready for that Kansas game not that we were overlooking UNLV at all but he had already set our minds to think about an opportunity and I think when you, you talk about great coaching that was one of the best coaching moments that now looking back on it as a coach now that was masterful and I don't know if he was doing it purposefully to give us that mindset to be ready to go when that game happened but um, it was, it, I thought that was one of the best coaching moves that um, seems so simple, but it, it's, that was exactly what we needed. Yeah. Even more impressive. You think about that, that uh, your junior year when you played Purdue and then your senior year, those are his first two uh, NCAA tournament appearances as a head coach. Yep. So he's sort of learning on the fly as well about what these games are really kind of like and, and, and to, to pull you know, kind of, um, I say pull a move like that, but to, to kind of coach you guys up on, on that and get you in the right mindsets, I think is, is a really impressive for, for a younger coach. 
no, absolutely. He, um, he, he handled it. He handled it perfectly. And, and that's how he is though. Like he's super calm, cool and collected and um, kind of that same mold as, as Tony Bennett in that sense where, you know, he's, he's coaches to coach you and he doesn't coach to the moment. He doesn't coach to the environment. He coaches because he's a coach. And I think that's what both of them do with their demeanors is that, yeah, they get fiery. Yeah. They get into the game. They get excited for mo- for whatnot. Like you're, you're still human, but um, he always had an even keel with how he approached things. And that showed on our team too. Like we handled, that was one thing we were always good at. We most close games we won, you know, and probably the ones we lost was that Michigan state game in the sweet 16. <laughs> well, we'll get to that one in just a moment, but uh, you talk about kind of, you're in the right mindset for that Kansas game and you kind of, I'd say you guys kind of punched them in the mouth early. I mean, got a, a, a lead on them and it seemed like Kansas had to kind of battle back a little bit. And then, then it was sort of trading back and forth blows in the second half. Uh, I do love in watching the highlights of that game. Uh, you had a, a sweep behind the back pass at one point for a layup and transition uh, to one of the cook brothers. And, and uh, I just thought that that sort of, uh, summed up kind of the the swagger you guys had for that game and the confidence that you could pull a move off like that. And, and it was really impressive. So uh, can you remember that play? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny because my head coach that I work for now, coach uh, Nico Medved, he always talks about um, that he worked for a guy named Clem Haskins at Minnesota. And he always told him, he's like, Nico, you can drop whatever pretty little plays you got, you have, but if you don't have guys that can ring the bell at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I always think about that just because coach Jake, one of the, the best things that he, he does uh, to this day is he lets his guys play and he lets his guys have fun out there. And he gives them, he gives them the confidence to do that too. And not a lot of coaches want to do that. They want to manage the game more, you know, like control everything. And, and, and there's di- every, there's a hundred different ways to win basketball games, but um, coach Jake, he lets us, he let us play. Like I, I, and that's the best way I can describe it. Like I didn't think twice about not throwing the behind the back pass. Um, that was just, you know, I was playing basketball and in that moment, it felt right. <laughs> and um, I think that's the best thing is that the more free you can play, I think the better you play. And if you're always thinking about mistakes and not messing up and turn the ball over, is that a good shot or a bad shot? Well, you can't play hesitant. And that's one thing coach, he gave us the confidence to always be on the attack and, and play basketball defensively. Yeah, we were different. Then, then we were, we were locked in. You had to do it a certain way. And there was a standard to do it that way. And on offense, it was just play hard, play unselfishly and, and play free. And that's exactly how we played on offense. And it showed in a lot of the plays that we made in that game, like my behind the back pass, Johnny shooting that three to put us up 10 to two to start the game. Um, um, Adam, Adam Cook um, getting that rebound off uh, Sean Collins' back and dunking it. Um, Jordan Eggleseeder shooting the two threes when he shot like six all year. Um, but that's how we played. And it wasn't like everyone was surprised that Jordan shot those threes. But to us, like, shoot, I played horse against him. And like it was I, – I, I never lost, but it was always <laughs> close. And so I think those things you don't always just see show up in the games. But we knew they all were capable of doing it but we had a coach that let us do it. And that's probably the difference between coach Jake and some other people. And that was the difference between us probably being a, a solid team and being a really good team is that he trusted us. And well, we felt and, that trust. Yeah. Well, and to that thinking, I mean, I think this is a good lead into then the, the, the shot 
uh, a lot of people will remember for a very long time in, in March Madness is, is your shots uh, in transition to put you guys up four. And, uh, and, and then Kansas eventually, uh, I think they, they had a charging call right after that and, and basically won you guys the game. Uh, take me through that, that moments and, and that three-pointer and, and uh, what the, that adrenaline rush was like. Yeah. It was so, it's so long ago now that I, I can't remember it as vividly, but uh, we, uh, it, it was, we were back and forth, like you said, and then um, we couldn't get the ball across half court for like two and a half minutes. It felt like. Um, so just to see the other side of the floor was pretty amazing. Um, but it, it, we got the ball in almost turned the ball over two separate times before it even touched my hands. Um, but got the ball up the floor. And in, in that moment, saw the guy, saw, um, the guy back off of me and go back towards Johnny on the other side. And it was, there was no hesitation after that. And I think that goes back to exactly what we're talking about. Coach Jay giving us the freedom to play, showing uh, ultimate trust in us to make the decisions we felt like we needed to make in those moments. And, um, that was the best decision I felt like that I could make in that moment was to shoot that shot. And it's kind of a culmination of all the hard work that you put in up to that point to give yourself the confidence to, to not think about it in those moments. Um, and caught that ball, saw the open hoop and knew the time and score and the situation that we were in and felt like we could, end, I felt like I could end the game in that moment. Um, so shot it and went in. And then my next thought was just like, just like we were talking about, I'm free on the offensive end. And then right back to the defensive end, I'm straight back to, like, I got sprint back, get back in transition, find my man and match up. And um, that was kind of, that was kind of how it flowed. And then once Jake Cook um, took the charge, um, that was kind of what sealed the game. Like I know my shot put us up four and whatnot, but what sealed the game was Jake Cook taking that charge. If, if he doesn't take that charge and now it's, a, now we're only up two with 20, 15 seconds left. Well, it's still a game at that point. <laughs> But Jake takes that charge, and then from the Sports Illustrated cover and everything else, that was that was what led to to us screaming and whatnot. Was Jake's charge, and he was my roommate. So that adding all that into each other, and uh, he's in my wedding. Um, that added all all into each other in that moment was um, kind of a culmination of growing up as a little kid playing basketball, living in that moment, and then all to that point was what led to that excitement. Well, and then, well, speaking of, of kind of what you dream about as a kid, then you get interviewed by Kevin Harlan after the game. Uh, what, what was, uh, what was that like? Just, you know, sort of the, you just pulled off this huge upset. You hit one of, you know, the, the shot everyone's going to kind of remember from the game. And then you're getting interviewed on, on CBS afterwards by, by one of the great broadcasters, uh, can you, can you remember even, you know, what you said in that interview or, or what was going on? No, it's a, uh, if you go listen to it, you'll be like, wow, you, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> One of the worst interviews ever, probably. I don't know what to say. Um, but that was, it was just so exciting. I think in that time, like, I didn't care what I said. I was ready to just go in the locker room and celebrate. Um, but that was all, all that stuff was, it was, it was a blast that, that moment going back in the locker room, celebrating with my teammates, going back to the hotel, um, then I remember we were heading, driving back from Oklahoma City and we're eating in an Applebee's and um, ESPN's calling our SID being like, hey, Ali, you got to get on with them. They're on TV right now. And we're literally watching ESPN right there. And I'm like, I'm like, wait, we're, I'm going to be on that in like two minutes. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> dang. So then I have to go on the other, other side of the room in the Applebee's 
and uh, this is pre-COVID, obviously. <laughs> and um, so I'm on the other side, and I'm talking on the phone, and like it's delayed like five seconds. And so I'm talking, and I start hearing myself, and I can uh, I can hear myself in the background. And if you ever done that before, it really messes you up. But oh yeah, yeah, I can back. imagine. <laughs> uh, no, uh, that's that's pretty what? funny. Applebee story. Uh, I I like. Then you mentioned the, the Sports Illustrated cover as well. I mean, again, just something that you sort of uh, dream about as a kid and, and that moment. And uh, I, I guess, you know, what was your, did you know um, that they were going to put you on the SI cover? Were you let, let, uh, did somebody let you know ahead of time or, or uh, was that sort of a surprise? No, I, I didn't find out that until um, the morning. Sorry, my son's right here. <laughs> okay. I uh, didn't, didn't find that out until the morning. Um, I'm in class on Monday in my financial class um and i'm half asleep and and the the, the professor comes up to me and, and goes oh i i, I heard you're gonna be on sports illustrated and i was like what and i'm like first of all i, I wasn't paying attention your whole time so I, I feel bad anyways but then after that i um i get a text message from our uh, director of operations wait hold on right hey type type can you go downstairs bud sorry about that oh good uh, and then so I get a text message from our SID and he's telling me, Hey, you're going to be on the cover of sports illustrate. I'm like, this isn't like, this is crazy. Like I didn't know how to react to it. Then my start, then I think it, it somehow it gets out to a bunch of people. Cause then my phone just starts blowing up. Um, and I'm getting probably 150 text messages, just getting calls from every single person. And so it was hard for a while there. Then the SID had to really help me like manage that whole situation with everything with the media you know, NCAA tournament time and you guys are all in school and you just played these two games against UNLV in Kansas. And you mentioned that you're back in class then uh, the next week. Uh, I, I, it's, it's, a unique, it's unique to college athletes. I'm, I'm curious how you, you handled that uh, specifically during tournament time. Yeah, it was tough. Um, I didn't get a lot of sleep, um, obviously because just the excitement of everything too. Um, but you're still going to class. I was a finance major, so it was it wasn't I, it was a tough major to be in while going through that as well. Um, but it the the strangest thing was, and the funniest story I have with that was probably like four weeks ago. We're playing Southern Illinois on ESPN two, um, and I'm sitting in my fi- in one of my other classes, and these guys in in front of me are talking about the game, um, us versus Southern Illinois. And they're like, oh, it's gonna be awesome. Like, I heard you got to get there like two hours early for tickets because um, they're already selling out. Um, and so the, they start talking and then they look back at me and they're like, hey, do you, do you have tickets? Do you know how to get, get in? The game? Like, you know what's going on? And I'm like, I'm like, no, I, no, I don't. <laughs> and like, and then I start questioning, I'm like, do they think I'm just this huge Northern Iowa basketball fan? Because I'm literally wearing like Northern Iowa sweats every single day. Um, but so anyways then four weeks later after all that make the beat kansas and whatnot i'm walking through the hallways and like people are just high-fiving me left and right and like i had two kids get down their knees and start like praying (laughs) like if if these people only knew what was happening four weeks ago if i was getting i was getting asked to if i was going to the game um it's just full circle with that but it, it was it was an exciting time and um we couldn't go because i was with the cook brothers as roommates too so they're obviously both six nine six ten, so obviously we get noticed a lot. More. We get noticed a lot more because of them being six nine six ten and not me being six foot. Um, but 
So it, everywhere we went after that was just every single person were taking pictures and talking. And um, so it was, it was a blast and it was, it was definitely a surreal, surreal moment for all of us. Well, I'd like to imagine those two guys uh, during the Kansas game, all of a sudden it hits them. Wait a second. That's the guy who's been sitting behind us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just exactly. hit the, the, the three, you know, <laughs> against Kansas and, and, uh, and, and I just, I just love to picture that moment of them realizing that. <laughs> no, exactly. That, well, that the whole time I was thinking, I was like, did they, did they just think I was like just this massive like Northern Iowa basketball fan? I literally just wear Northern Iowa sweats every single day to class. <laughs> uh, that's that's hilarious. Uh, well, so then the aftermath. So, uh, so then after that, you get to play Michigan State in the Sweet Sixteen, and you know, you alluded to it that you, you guys couldn't quite pull that one out against a Michigan state team that ended up going to the final four. Uh, take me through that game and, and just how close you guys were to, to pulling that one out. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what people don't understand either is like, we were up, actually up seven at halftime. Um, but, and we were at the free throw line down two or tied. I can't remember with two minutes to go. And Adam was at the free throw line, one of our better free throw shooters and um, missed. <laughs> He probably doesn't want me to bring that up, but yeah. make both free throws. Um, and I didn't play well either. Um, but it was it was one of those moments that I, I would I remember the Kansas game, obviously, the UNLV game. I remember all, a lot of games, but um I still remember that sweet 16 game probably more so than any other game. Um and uh you almost never forget that. Like hopefully I think you know you had a good career when you remember the losses more than the wins. Um, because you have, hopefully you have more wins and losses. So the, the ones that stick out to me more are the losses. Um, and that's probably just the competitive side of me too, that I, I always remember the losses more than the wins. And um, I always tell our guys that, that hopefully we're at the point here at Colorado State that the wins are great and we always are going to celebrate the wins, but um, hopefully you remember the losses more because that means you won, you, you won too many games to remember all the wins. Yeah, and and had to have been a little tough to watch than Michigan state, like I said, go to the final four and, and then almost beat Butler yeah. uh, in that final four game as well. So they, uh, they obviously went on a run afterwards and you're, you're thinking, Oh, maybe, you know, we could have been in Indianapolis, you know, playing in the final four, that type of, of idea. But as you said, I mean, uh, still a heck of a career that you, you, and, uh, and like you said, the cook brothers and Jordan Eggleseer and all those guys, uh, really had in those couple of years were, were really special time for Northern Iowa basketball. No, absolutely. It was, it was a blast, especially coming in. Um, I think it means more too when you see where you started and then where you finish. Um, because if you're at Duke and you do something like that, oh, all right, whatever, like you're supposed to do that. Um, but to, to build a program um, and still like they're having great success now, even um, it, it's, it's special to know that like part of that was started from what we did. Um, and, obviously they're building on it even more now. And that's what's, that's what makes it special. And I think that's what, that's what, that's what building a legacy is all about somewhere is that you want to build it to the point where you do something that hasn't been done before. And then they continue to build on it from there. And that's, what's, that's what makes me proud is that they're still building on it now. And hopefully they can continue to get even further than we did. Absolutely. Penn Jacobson done a, a tremendous job there. And, and so then when your playing career uh, eventually ended you got into coaching as you as you've mentioned and so I'm curious uh, you know as an assistant or on coaching staffs uh, about tournament experience that you've had as a coach and how that 
differs from when you were a player? Yeah, it's uh, I, I I might look at it differently. Um, I think the, the the funniest thing when you become go from playing to coaching too is you don't actually realize how much goes into a game. You know, sometimes as a player, you just think like, okay, they wrote up practice and now they're gonna now they're gonna go now we're gonna go play the game. And it's like, man, we spend two hours every day just writing up practice as a staff. <laughs> and then we spend so much more time with the scouting and whatnot. And I think there's almost a different love for the game when you're a coach that you have to have than when you're as a player. Because as a player, like the competitive side of it, if you don't love to compete, you can't play. But the competitive side of it is what makes that so much fun. And it's a different kind of competitiveness when it comes to coaching. And I think that transition um, is, is, is hard for players to coaches because you do you lose some of that just head-to-head -head competitiveness that yeah you do get it in coaching but it's more in coaching it's that competitiveness of trying to bring out the best in other people and that's what I've learned through this and hopefully I can I can share those experiences with with our guys about just development hard work um, building your legacy with where you're at and then one day, hopefully, we'll be talking about how to prepare for an NCAA tournament. And, and I talk to him a lot about the adversity of things and, and learning how to win close pressure situation games. And you, you, to, to finish this off, you kind of answered this question already, but kind of what, uh, as an assistant coach now at Colorado State and looking ahead, you know, what, what are some of your goals in the coaching profession uh, going forward and, and your thinking on, on that sort of thing? Yeah, no, I, I love where I'm at. Um, we got we got great kids here. Um, we've got a great team, good young team right now. So I'm enjoying where I am. I'm working for a great coach, great staff. Um, coach Medved's all about the same things, really similar to Coach Jake in the terms of the way he coaches and what he's about. Um, so obviously, I, I I love where I'm at, and so I'm I'm enjoying this right now. Yeah, for sure. One day I'd love to be a, love to go down the head coaching route, but. Um, I love where I'm at. I love the kids I'm coaching every single day. Um, love the community that we're in in Fort Collins. Um, and it makes it a lot easier when you work for a guy like Coach Medved that values family, values relationships, values developing people um, just as much as developing basketball players. And I think that's what makes it special here is that we're not trying to just absolutely we're going to use the game as a vehicle to develop these kids. But um, hopefully they leave with a degree and hopefully they live with, leave with a better understanding of who they are and who they want to become as well. Well, Ali Farukmish, thank you so much for joining the Legends of the Tournament podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening in to the Legends of the Tournament podcast. A reminder that you can follow the show on Twitter at L-O-T-T podcast. And you can email us at legendsofthetournament at gmail.com. And thank you to Blue Wire Hustle for hosting the podcast. I'm Ryan Christofferson, and you have been listening to the Legends of the Tournament podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network.